Hi, this is Regan with You Pick, We Watch, and we have special guest Matt B. with us again today. Matt, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Today, we are going to be talking about the film that you suggested last week, uh, 1993's Loaded Weapon 1. So my my question to you is, how did you hear about this movie? Because this was definitely a first for me. So... I'm pretty sure I was at Kmart and just saw the VHS copy and I would have seen it not long after Jurassic Park. So I recognized Samuel L. Jackson and like, also I love the Mighty Ducks. So I recognized Emilio Estevez. So I got this movie when I was probably way too young to really watch it, but like, nobody really noticed that like it was like my, my mom didn't watch it with me. My dad didn't watch it with me. So I just got this on VHS tape um, and just watched it over and over again. Cause you know how it was back in the day. You only, you didn't have like streaming services, just hundreds of things you had however many VHS tapes you had. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that definitely is not the case in, in my life anymore. There's so much new content out there right at your fingertips. But like you said, back in the day, I had like my five VHS movies that I would just play on repeat. And I'm sure my mom just saw that this was PG-13 and was like, well, Matt, Matt's pretty smart. He can like handle it. Which <laughs> like re-watching it, I thought it was a lot raunchier than it was like, I, I thought this would be a really raunchy movie because um, I hadn't seen it in, you know, at least yeah. a couple decades. <laughs> um, so, And also, it's uh, what surprised me was that it's a National Lampoon's movie. So just yep. knowing that, I was actually kind of surprised it was only PG-13. Yeah, which I think the National Lampoon's, like, really helped this because, um, well, when we get into the cast, there's a lot of big name stars in this. That like looking at some of the other parody movies we watched, uh, it's the cast is usually you know up and comers or they've been like doing TV things. There's not a lot of like established actors in those movies unless they're like there for a cameo or like a bit part. But this like everyone is a big name in this movie. Well, I'm I'm also thinking. Um... Like you said, there's a lot of big name people in there, but back in 1993, like, do you think that this would be the star-studded cast as it is recognized today? Um, well, I mean, so Samuel L. Jackson had been in a bunch of things, but I mean, I think I think Jurassic Park was really his like big breakout into mainstream thing. But Emilio Estevez had been in. All of he was in the Brat Pack, so he was in you know Breakfast Club. He was in, um, I think, The Outsiders. Uh, I think Young Guns was before this. It might have been right after this, but you know this was the time when Emilio on all the Brat Pack stuff. Um, and then you know Kathy Ireland hadn't really acting but you know she was a huge name to get. William Shatner, like, like getting William Shatner. Pretty. I gotta say that one surprised me the most. Yeah, of all the uh, the people, aside from a couple cameos here and there. Um, well, one of my favorite, since we're kind of talking about casting, one of my favorite things is just they got William Shatner, they got Tim Curry, 
And I think they just said go ham because <laughs> William Shatner and Tim Curry just like steal every scene they're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm used to that for Tim Curry, but I was surprised because I actually haven't seen a lot of things with William Shatner in him. So mm. this, this was kind of nice. It seems like he really uh, he committed to the role. Oh yeah, John like Lovitz. He had fun. John Lovitz, yeah. Uh, who who else do you recognize on here? Again, because so, there's so many people. Yeah, so um, Charlie Sheen just has a cameo, which is Emilio Estevez's brother. Um, which, uh, and then also, you know, Phil Hartman, um, who is Saturday Night Live and News Radio. Corey Feldman is just a rookie cop. Um, Dennis Leary is one of the murder victims. Whoopi Goldberg, Eric Estrada, um, and then Bruce Willis is the most surprising one. Yep. Like, how do you react to that scene when uh, just the the trailer? I, well, that in itself was a great scene. I'll, I'll talk about that more later, but that I laughed really hard because Bruce Willis is probably the last person I expected to see in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I know Denise Richards is credited in this movie, but for the life of me, I can't place her. So she was one of the backup singers, and while I was watching this, I'm like, she's got those very distinct eyebrows. And I was watching that. I'm like, that's Denise Richards. So then I like had to up on IMDb and rewind the scene. I'm like, oh, that was Denise Richards. And like, this was one of her first like movie roles. Yeah. You're on like years later, she married Charlie Sheen for like four years. But I don't think they probably had any interaction on this movie at all. Oh, yeah. An extra and not even close to that scene. So. Um. F. Murray Abraham, who is spoofing uh, Hannibal Lecter in this movie, uh, I've, he's so great in everything that he's in. Yeah. And then I think uh, the last name I recognized was Paul Gleason, who played the principal in The Breakfast. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Scotty. I can't remember his, the actor's name, but Scotty from uh, Star Trek just popping up for one random scene and then disappearing. <laughs> Yeah, James. Just one joke. Doing <laughs> just for just for that one joke. Yeah, I, it's funny because I I recognize that that was a nod to Star Trek, but I didn't know that was the actual actor from Star Trek. Yeah. Part of me in the back of my head is like, oh yeah, Shatner called in some favors, but I'm like, <laughs> that that was like, let's get my buddy in this movie. But no, I'm pretty sure the joke was written. They reached out and said, hey, can you film this one scene and. Actually, fun fact about him, he was actually involved with the invasion of Normandy in World War II. Uh, hmm. James James Dewan was one of the people that hit the beaches. I did not know that. So uh, with that segue, um, take it away, Matt. What What's uh, something you found in the trivia of this movie? Which there is a surprising amount of. So... Um, there was supposed. This is called Loaded Weapon One. There was supposed to be a sequel, but this did so bad at the box office um, that it just 
they scrap those plans immediately, which I think unintentionally makes this even funnier that it was called Loaded Weapon 1 and there was never a sequel. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because uh, so. um, this was like, this was after there had been three lethal weapons, which obviously this is a parody of. Um, but before the fourth one, there had been like a bunch of police academies at the time. Like there was just, they were churning out all of these, you know, buddy cop action movies. Yeah, Lethal Weapon, if I'm not mistaken, was credited as essentially creating the buddy cop genre, which I went back and watched it um, probably six months ago, and I could absolutely see that. Mm-hmm. Um, which, but, which is weird thinking about it now, because now it's one of those tropes that it's just so tired and played out, like, for, especially with, like, TV shows. It's like, well, what do we want? Let's take an interesting idea. Okay, but how do we make this into a TV show? Okay, um, they're cops, and they are complete opposites and don't get along. Okay, cool. And then they just make a TV show and that's half the stuff on TV now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Something that I thought, (laughs) something that I was both surprised by, but also delighted was uh, the exterior exterior location of General Mortar's uh, hideout when he negotiates the drug deal is also used as the Paddy's Pub exterior in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which also has like a few parody episodes of Lethal Weapon. Yeah, which I didn't notice that on watching it, but I kind of want to go back and rewatch it just to see like how different it looks. It's funny because it actually looks very similar. Like, maybe a little bit less <laughs> weathered, I guess. But, yeah, very similar. <laughs> One of those blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of deals. So you mentioned um, Police Academy. Um, the writer and director, um, Gene Quintano, is also uncredited as a writer for characters of Police Academy 5 and also credited for writing the scripts for Police Academy 3 and 4. So, yeah, this is someone who's been very much involved with police-related parodies, or comedies, rather. There were five Police Academy movies is the real (laughs) thing I got out of that. Yep. (laughs) For better or for worse. I remember one and there's a saxophone scene in it and then there's two where i think like some of the criminals became cops maybe that was three i don't know i watched them when i was young because my dad loved them Uh, same exact same scenario for me um so there's a lot of just random mistakes in this movie but because of how this movie is like it's hard to tell if these are mistakes that like got left in or if they were intentional. Um, but one that was an actual mistake that got left in was uh, Dr. Leecher when he's in the, um, he's in a straitjacket and he tries to get out of it and he just falls. And that was just the actor accidentally falling while trying to get out of the straitjacket. But it was <laughs> hilarious. It worked for the plot. So they just did it, left that scene in. <laughs> I love that. I also love that um, the setup of that joke. You know, he bet that he could get out of this in 15 minutes. How long has he been at it? Three days. Oh, yeah. 
Well, that's a different one. That was an earlier scene. There were a couple straitjacket jokes in this movie. There was a the, there was the scene when they were doing the Silence of the Lamb parody, and they had Doctor Leecher, and they make it all creepy and you know setting the tone for Silence of the Lamb. But then he just immediately falls over. <laughs> I yeah, the amount of things that literally come out of nowhere in this movie actually I think work in its favor. Like uh, when he asked them to sit. Like just chairs are suddenly there when they yeah. uh, discover they're being tailed. There's just suddenly armed men in their back seat of their car, <laughs> and then by like taking a sharp turn, they're just no longer in the car. That joke. There's so many stupid jokes. Um, like, or they get into a blue car, and then in, as soon as they get out, they get out of a brown car. Like. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of stupid jokes, but it all kind of and and mistakes in the movie, but it all kind of like fits together with the tone. So weirdly enough, all of that works. Yeah, and a lot of like the funniest jokes are just background gags that like pay off. Like the first joke with the uh, guy making a Mister Potato Head instead of a police sketch, and then like three scenes later, you see Mister Potato Head getting arrested in the background. again that falls in the category of like so stupid but so good at the same time or the the conversation between Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Tim Curry as he's shooting her and then asking to clarify the directions to get where he's going yeah (laughs) so um, something that really came out of nowhere for me was um, Sam Jackson's, like, there's made mention he wears the cologne high karate. And in mm-hmm. The Incredibles, Frozone, who's voiced by Sam Jackson, is seen using the same brand. I think that is a hilarious Easter egg to a movie that so many people haven't seen. Yeah. Um. So there's apparently a ABC would play this in the afternoons. I'm assuming on Sundays because growing up, I remember ABC Sunday afternoons. They would just show some really low budget movie. Um, So there's deleted scenes that are in the ABC version that aren't anywhere else. They're not on DVD release like nowhere else. Just somewhere in ABC's records if they haven't like thrown it out. There's a version of this scene where um, there's a start of the day at Luger's house where his daughter's hiding a guy that she had slept with. And then there's a scene where Colt has an out of body experience, which sounds really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I got I was going to scour online to see if I could find them, but there's just this cut of the movie. That's just nowhere else it was only shown on ABC. That you know, I would like to see an extended version of this, just because it's a very it's I don't know I don't want to say it's a short movie, but I think it's just under ninety minutes. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what got cut out. Yeah, the, like the last little like it seems like it's a very big build, and then the actual like climax of the movie, the shootout at the um, Wilderness Girls Cookie Factory, like that seems to just go by really really quickly. I realized. Because I was watching it, and then I'm like, oh, oh, the movie's over. 
<laughs> okay, I forgot that like it just ended like this. And it ends with uh, a send up to Wayne's World, which yeah. of all the things I didn't expect, that's pretty high on the list. Yeah, and also and just Kathy's character being alive again. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they did that for like John Lovitz too. Like we we see him die, and then he's in like ten more scenes after that. Well, because he thought it was the sequel, and like <laughs> that was a. <laughs> that was a thing that I distinctly remember happening. I don't know if it was just in like Lethal Weapon, but I remember a lot of times movies would like have a character die and then in the sequel they'd be alive again, like looking at you, Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to Bruce Willis for a second, I think that might have been my favorite cameo in this whole movie because he he really he really commits to that 30 seconds he's on screen and just the, the hilarity of, you know, the trailer gets shot up and explodes. And then he's like, yeah, no, it's, this isn't the right address. That's two blocks down. It's completely yeah. random. And I guess he, he did that as a personal favor to his brother, David Willis, who was the producer of this movie. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that was absolutely worth it. Yeah, a lot of favors called in for this movie because Charlie Sheen came in to play a valet, um, which, you know, getting Charlie Sheen, who, like I said, at this time was like a huge star to come in and just be the valet. And then the way like Emilio Estevez is looking at him, like, what are you doing here type thing throughout the whole time, kind of leaning on the fourth wall, which then later gets brought up um, with John Lovitz which when I watched this as a kid, I didn't realize this joke, but now it had me in stitches, was John Lovitz, well, um, he's talking to Emilio Estevez and Emilio Estevez is doing Bond. He's like, have you seen Hot Shots? Don't you think it's weird that like he was doing that and now you're doing this, like talking about his brother being in a movie parody and now you're in an action movie parody? Like, I didn't get what he was doing at the time. I thought he was just distracting him, but now like realizing, oh yeah, they're brothers. Um, he's kind of just referencing the fact that, oh yeah, your brother already did this. <laughs> and Hot Shots, that, that is a great parody movie. I saw that when I was way too young and I hadn't even seen Top Gun and <laughs> it's still one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I was um, trying to watch it the other day on any of the like streaming services I have. I think I, I still have the I think I still have the VHS in that, but nothing to play it on. Um so I didn't realize this at the time, but um F. Murray Abraham and Whoopi Goldberg were actually Oscar winners by nineteen um yeah nineteen ninety three and Samuel Jackson was actually nominated for an Oscar. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the more and more we talk about this, it feels like favors were called in to, like, make this movie happen. And also, like, National Lampoon's name being attached to it, and New Line Cinema was huge at the time, but National Lampoon's being attached to it, I think, helped bring them in, because you got to think this was, you know, they had had Animal House, they had had Vacation and Christmas Vacation, like, they were spitting out hits at the time. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's something to that. Um, I, I like how tongue in cheek a lot of background things are in this movie. Like you'd mentioned earlier, like when, um, 
the two main characters arrive at Dennis Leary's apartment and um, you can see the, <laughs> the guy that was on television, like on TV was outlined in chalk too. So it's like when the shooting happens, it's like someone on TV reacted to what was happening in the room. And there's, there's actually a lot of that where someone will be having a flashback and then someone else will react to their flashback. Like they're in their mind too. And yeah. I, I, that always lands for me. Yeah, like, and there's a lot of jokes per minute in this movie. Just, and there, and a lot of them land. Like, I thought this probably, like, I didn't think this would age well, but it really did. Like, I, I, coming off of having watched Scary Movie last week, it was like watching this. I'm like, yeah, sure. There's a lot of dated jokes. Like, they're using a credit card. Um, uh, carbon copy m- machine to check the credit cards um which buying drugs with a credit card is just hilarious in itself for um, the airline miles yeah but um and like the head and shoulders joke and the athlete's foot joke like yeah there's there's dated jokes in there but like a lot of the other jokes were just funny for the sake like they're still funny you don't really have to depend on having seen the movie or know what they're referencing to just laugh at it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You have uh, anything else trivia-wise? Um, so this was the first of five movies that had um, Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis together. Um, you know, they were in Glass. They were in... Uh, was it shattered? Um, just a lot of movies together. So that's kind of. Oh yeah, Invincible, I think. Or yeah, Invincible. And uh, Die Hard Three. Yeah. Man, there are a lot of movies together. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they were both huge names in the '90s and 2000s. So. And this was one of seven collaborations that uh, Charlie Sheen did with Emilio Estevez, too. Like, yeah, and I'm even off the top of my head. But <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I definitely Young Guns, and then I think they were in like Repo Men or something like that. There, there was some where they were playing like Repo Guys or Trash Guys or something like that, and like The Outsiders. But they were part of the Brat Pack as well. So they were in a bunch of movies just at that time. I actually really enjoyed seeing Charlie Sheen. He's he's so young Charlie Sheen. Like when he has a script and isn't trying to improv, I think he actually is a pretty good actor. Like yeah. especially for comedic stuff. Because he's got that serious face. I think that worked <laughs> with Emilio Estevez too. Like, they kept that serious face on the entire movie that kind of like they weren't they, they were acting as if they were in like an action cop movie while doing ri- these ridiculous things yeah i i think that's why i love like these parody movies so much is because the it's it's not that the movie's trying to like tee up jokes to make you laugh it's just a lot of absurd things are happening to people that are playing it straight and yeah like their reactions to everything just makes it for me um let's see oh uh other trivia 
Um, there's a scene where there's guards, and for some reason, they're Nazi guards. <laughs> they just decided to make them Nazis speaking German. Um, and there's the translation down at the bottom, which uh, the uh, Colt, I think it is, trips over. But it says, relax, only psychotic, burned out cop would try to break in here. But the actual <laughs> line was just, relax, only an ape would come in here. Oh. Huh. <laughs> I like that he tripped and broke the subtitles in that scene. That's this movie has it's got some pretty funny things up its sleeve. Yeah, like that that the subtitles and stuff are aware. Like when um, Whoopi Goldberg's character sees the time change, like down at the bottom of the screen, <laughs> it's establishing the scene. It's like Tuesday night, nine oh five p.m., and then Whoopi's on the phone and she's like, "Hot," like leaving a message. And it's like, "Hey, it's nine oh." and then like the time changes over she's like 906 <laughs> so like they're aware of all the subtitles all the captions I appreciate all the nondescript um, information like that like whatever the camera goes to it's like LA night <laughs> it pans over to a house house yeah. <laughs> so unnecessary but I love it um the, <laughs> So there's, I feel like in every cop movie, there's someone, you know, the, the main characters are trying to figure out if this person recognizes the deceased. And that scene in the shady hotel had me rolling. <laughs> it's like the, the guy's just, the hotel clerk is just churning out all these like excuses and, you know, just very stock cop movie phrases before they even yeah. start talking. <laughs> show her a picture of Whoopi. He's like, no, nah, I don't recognize her. Then they wheel the body in. And he's like, nah, it's kind of out of focus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I lo- love it. Uh, oh, for the one last trivia thing that I had was there's two dubs of this movie in Japan. The fact that this got imported to Japan is kind of weird to me at first, but I guess they were trying to like get those international markets because it's like a lot of this humor is very like American pop culture. Oh yeah. But um, there's two translations of it. One is dubbed in just the standard Japanese um, dialect. Well, a second one is dubbed in the Kansai regional accent, which is more of a rural accent. So it'd be like if uh, an American movie like if a movie came to America and one English one was dubbed in like regular, like standard American English, and then one had like a Louisiana accent. <laughs> <laughs> so specific. <laughs> yeah, just completely. So I don't know if they did it to be to make it funnier or what, but the fact that they imported this to Japan and then dubbed it twice. That's I, I have a tangent related to that where in the other direction there was a one season anime series called Ghost Stories that was it flopped in Japan but somehow managed to get a dub in the States and because there weren't really high expectations for it, the studio gave the the voice artists like way more freedom than they should have. <laughs> and uh 
it, it ended up coming out if you've if you're familiar with most extreme elimination challenge which is just you know two american comedians dub a japanese 80s game show like it feels kind of like that where the basic plot can't change but it's just full of like really crass american like pop culture references and it's one of the funniest things i've seen recently but it's <laughs> it's funny how sometimes a dub can change, you know, the the reception of a movie. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have for trivia. I'm not sure if you've got anything. Okay. So this movie had a budget of $8.2 million. Um, it was released in February of 1993. And I was actually surprised to see this, but um, the box office came out to about $51 million, which for this not being like critically accepted, like that's, that's not a flop. No. Yeah. Like I, I, it doubled its money worldwide. So. Yeah. And that's, (laughs) that's pretty good. It grossed 28 million in the States and Canada. And then internationally got another twenty three million. So that's that's not bad. I mean, I, I suppose that might not have been what they were hoping for, but it, I wonder if it, that's it, got like TV rights rolled into it or not, or like D, uh, VHS rights. It wasn't DVD at the time. VHS rights or anything like that. If that helped contribute to it, because this is the type of movie that, like, if you saw it on the shelf at Blockbuster. You know, you'd give it a whirl, especially with the um, that cover with Emilio Estevez and Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, that got me into it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the uh, home video rental like market gave a lot of movies like this a second chance. Like, I think that's and I think best case scenario, something turns into a cult classic. Like, I know. I know there's a group of people that really like the Hudson Hawk, which came out, I think, the year before this and was a complete flop. But I think it broke even because of revenue from video rentals, which is insane. Yeah, which I don't know if that would really work in this day and age with like streaming. Like things I, I can picture things like failing in the in the um, thing and then like getting a cult following on streaming. But I don't think it would incentivize them to like make more of them yeah boondock saints did horrible in theaters but every college student i knew had that dvd and a poster on their wall so they made a second one Mm -hmm. um there's a what is it it's um I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was thinking about the Boondock Saints too much. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's it's interesting how. The, oh yeah, streaming. I was gonna say I I don't know how streaming revenue works exactly for like the movies that are on a particular service, but um, yeah, that's I I think somehow movies that don't do so well in theaters um, can still somehow make money on streaming. I just, I just don't know how. Yeah. Knowing how streaming works with music and all that, I'm assuming they don't make a bunch per stream, but 
I, I can see it catching a fan base. I'm sure Morbius is hoping that they get like that screaming boost because <laughs> they failed in theaters twice. Um, and that <laughs> twice. That's uh, that's the thing. If I saw it on like Hulu or something, I might be down to give that a shot. You know? Yeah. As long as it's free ninety nine. Um, yeah. No. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, like you see, like big name movies, you see they get like exclusive things with like HBO or Disney Plus or Netflix or Hulu, but then like you get the ones that are on like Tubi, and you know that they were just bought as like a bundle of just different movies. Oh yeah, like someone's like, I need to buy like sixteen low budget horror movies, and here's the contract. What do you got? <laughs> Yeah, if, if I had to guess, if something like, uh, I remember The Kingsman came out on, I think, Hulu and HBO Max after it had only been in theaters for like a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. And my, my speculation is maybe the streaming services buy the rights to stream that movie for a certain amount of time. And yeah. if it's a really popular like movie on that platform, They'll probably renegotiate the contracts after that time limits up to keep the rights to stream it at probably more more money for the studio. Yeah, that's what I would assume because you see a, you see movies that jump from platform to platform, um, which can be really annoying, um, especially uh, like I was watching. I decided to have the I had the stupid idea to rewatch the Twilight movies. And- <laughs> Then they went off of whatever, I think I was watching them on Tubi, and they were just no longer on Tubi, and I had watched up to Breaking Dawn Part 1, and now, like, Breaking Dawn Part 2 is no longer free to stream anywhere, so (laughs) I'm just like, oh, that was horrible. (laughs) Uh, Well, for anyone who has a Netflix subscription and a VPN, I found that a lot of movies that are not on Netflix in the States can be accessed abroad, which is how I watched Scary Movie last week, where I just, on a whim, was like, yeah, maybe UK Netflix will have it against all odds. And they did. <laughs> so possibilities are endless. Oh, Men at Work was the one I was trying to think of. That was Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. I knew they were like garbage men or repo men or something like that. But yeah, it was called Men at Work. I remember seeing bits and pieces of it on a Sunday afternoon watching ABC. So, <laughs> Did you like it? Uh, I honestly don't remember any of it. I just remember seeing bits and pieces. And probably, uh, so like I said, I really like the Mighty Ducks. So I was probably like, oh, that's uh, Coach Bombay. I will watch this movie. (laughs) And I think that's probably how this movie made the money that it did. You know, a lot of recognizable faces with pretty big names. I'd buy that. Yeah. So now we've reached the part of the podcast where we give you our two thumbs up, two thumbs down, or anything in between. Matt, take it away. So, yeah, like I said, this held up way better than I thought it would. Um, it wasn't as dated as I, as I thought scary movie was with its jokes. Um, part of it is because, you know, it's staying in the genre of early nineties, buddy cop movies. Um, yeah, there's a few 
jokes that are like you need to know those commercials but they're still funny that like oh this guy is like shampooing his hair at a crime scene um and there wasn't any there weren't really any jokes that like i cringed at like that, that was the thing with scary movie was i was cringing at a lot of the jokes and this one they stayed away from that um considering it was a pg-13 movie like like they, they leaned into some of the dirty jokes but they were all you know kind of sanitized and still funny um compared to a lot of like the scary movie stuff you know it was just like oh that is definitely a penis that can be hard to do <laughs> yeah um so it really towed that line um all the acting was great like i said them being playing the characters straight helped a lot um playing idiots at some time but not always just being that idiot cop, idiot like cop or the idiot you know person um so it was i, I mean it was still enjoyable even after haven't haven't having seen it in i don't know since the 2000s whenever i stopped watching vhs's it was probably the last time i watched this um great cast like i said tim curry william shatner just doing their thing um being over the top so yeah i'd still i'd say it's uh it's one star it's not something that like i'd watch all the time but you know every once in a while throwing it on or having people over gotcha is that a one thumb up from you yeah one thumb up gotcha yeah i'm i'm pretty similar um on that i i agree with a lot that you said this is actually the first time i watched it and I think the overall impression I was getting, because when you look at IMDb, it's got like a 6.2 out of 10, which usually doesn't scream like good movie. But um, after I think the first few scenes, I was pleasantly surprised with uh, it, the rapid fire jokes that you know start up and then keep on going throughout the whole movie and like you said none of the jokes made me cringe really uh some of them didn't land and were a little cheesy but like the vast majority of them still made me laugh which i was pleasantly surprised about that and um, if it didn't land you just had to wait like three seconds and there would be another joke because <laughs> fire. yeah like uh some of the random humor of this movie just gets me like strikes a chord uh when emilio is trying to sneak into the factory and he goes down like a manhole and then comes up and the ninja turtles are there like just yeah. just just hanging out and he just goes back down pops up the next manhole <laughs> that was that was funny for no reason i love it um yeah the acting was good <laughs> so many so many jokes really really landed like when they're um when they're talking to the dr Lecter guy and he's saying that the you know the person you need to look into is someone you've been involved with and uh <laughs> he's still holding a guy's hand and skipping down the beach and it's like no not that guy and it's like <laughs> when you were in vietnam it's like him with a vietnamese him with a vietnamese guy holding hands skipping down a beach God, that some of those jokes land really hard, harder than I expected them to, and not not a whole lot is dated. I'd say the only the only thing I'd say is you 
have to be pretty familiar with Lethal Weapon and like a few movies around that time period to get the most out of it. But I'd yeah. also say one thumb up for me too. Yeah, um, I, I I think we're pretty much on the same page. Like it's it, it's a solid movie. It's not like a masterpiece, but <laughs> yeah. All, all, I laughed throughout it. Like there, I wasn't waiting for it to end at any point. Yeah, yeah, same. And I think that when it comes to parody movies that are juggling a lot of references, it helps that the vast majority of them are around an hour and a half, so it shouldn't feel too long. Yeah, ninety minutes is like the comedy, you know, sweet spot. Like most. Uh, well, I don't want to say most, but like a lot of comedy movies, they're going to clock in at around 90 minutes. Um, you know, you can't really, you're not going to get like Infinity War length comedies. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like a nightmare, actually. <laughs> Three hours and it's part one of two and it's just dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, that's a dream. Uh... <laughs> Well, I, I think that that does it for for this movie. Uh, we have a few more parodies that are kind of on deck as uh, Jess, is, I believe she's going on vacation in the next week or two. So um, we'll be able to get through at least a couple more of these. So I want to I want to ask you, Matt, for our next movie. Um, I have Young Frankenstein, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and Airplane. Which one of those? It's going to be Robin Hood. uh, (laughs) I watched that since I was like in my teens, and all my friends and myself are like LARPers and medieval reenactors. So I kind of want to watch it and just pay attention to the costumes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, that sounds perfect to me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. Next week, we're going to discuss Robin Hood Men in Tights. I cannot wait for that. Can't underscore that enough. Um, Remember, you can help select the next movie that goes on our list uh, that we'll be getting back to in the next uh, couple weeks by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com or shooting us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at youpickwewatch. I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at author Regan Brooks. And I'm Matt. You can find me on spaceA.com slash Floki. That's a uh, MySpace clone that is the only thing I really like to give out for social media. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right on. <laughs> well, until next time, stay loaded. <laughs>